I don't know if you know this, but it's Memorial Day weekend. It's Memorial Day weekend, which means many, many people have gone to the Dollar Tree and Hobby Lobby and bought plastic flowers, and they will be leaving these plastic flowers on gravesides all across the United States. Now, I'm not a leave plastic flowers by, a gra by the graveside kind of guy. It's just not me, it's not who I am. And I'm having a bit of an argument right now with my mom, who is, and she's wanting to secure from me a promise that for the rest of my living days, twice a year, I will go to the graves, family graves, and I will leave plastic flowers from the Dollar Tree or Hobby Lobby, and I am stubbornly refusing. So you can give me counseling later on or kick me in the shin if you want, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, mom, it's just, I, you know, you're not there. She says, I don't care. It's important to me. I said, but you're not there. <laughs> like, and so we have this back and forth, which is kind of ironic because when I was a kid, I was fascinated by graveyards. I would go to the graveyard in Hartford City, Indiana. When I would drive, I would go to the ones out in the country because I love seeing the names and the dates. And because I, I want to, like, who are these people? What kind of lives did they live? Like, why has this person only lived 21 years? Like, what happened to them? Like, I want to know. I, I'm just curious in those ways. Um, it's why I love history markers and memorials. Uh, and you may not know this, but right here in Jessamine County, we have the Chaumier de Prairie. Right here in Jessamine County. This place had gardens, uh, sculpted gardens like they did outside the Palace of Versailles, France. People from all across colonial America would come to Jessamine County to see these famed gardens. Uh, in fact, Aaron Burr loved to visit and stay at the Chaumier de Prairie. And after he got into the duel with Alexander Hamilton, bam, bam, and Hamilton is dead, he got arrested in Alabama, and he managed to secure permission from the judge to be under house arrest right here in Jessamine County. Oh, you just learned some history in church. <laughs> That's probably worth 50 cents in the tithe box. Like right there, you learned something in church, right? So. How many of you are history marker people? I just want to know who my people are in the church, okay? I got you. I got you. It's okay to admit this in freedom. It's okay to walk in it. So I love memorials. And we have all kinds of cool stuff like that right here in Jesuit County. Just saying, but we love memorials. We build memorials to help us remember a person, a place, or an event that's, that's monumental, one of the big change moments in history. We do it for good people and good things. Here's Honest Abe. Come on, if you're American, we all owe a debt of service to good old Abe Lincoln. <laughs> he helped pull us out of a dark period. We also build memorials for things to help us remember the bad things that happen. This is the lynching memorial outside of Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and inside, they have giant tab granites hanging from the ceiling, along with the names of the people who were lynched. Right? We do these things because it's easy to forget. It's easy for, to forget what grandma and grandpa endured or sacrificed. It's easy to forget what previous generations of people had to face or how they had to trust God. Uh, it's easy to forget these things. 
in the late 1800s in New York, New Hampshire, Connecticut, uh, Pennsylvania, a massive revival broke out in the United States. I mean, people were just like, I'm gonna follow Jesus, I wanna follow Jesus too, let's all follow Jesus together, and they were all like, let's go, and taverns and, and bars shut down, I mean, it was huge. They, the revivals were so pervasive that they called certain areas of that part of the United States the burned over districts. You know how like a forest fire will ravage out of control? That was the name they gave to the revival places that had shut down, right? Those places right now in the United States are among the least religious we have. You'd never know that 100 years ago it shut down taverns and bars. It's easy to forget, which is why we memorialize things. So for those of you that have short attention spans, this is what I'm wanting to make a point today on. Don't forget what God's done, because he's not done yet. Don't forget what God's done, because he's not done yet. And in order to do that, I wanna look at a key passage and, and incident that happened in the book of 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, we're told, Samuel took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshanah. He named it Ebenezer. Come on, you've sung this. Here I, here I raise my Ebenezer. We're not talking about Ebenezer Scrooge. We're talking about this stone from 1 Samuel, which is also the name of a couple of different towns, but we'll get into that, all right? He, he erected this stone and he named it Ebenezer, which means stone of help, for he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. This is a common, common thing. Uh, Jacob, when he had the dream and he dreamt that angels were ascending and descending on this ladder, he knew that God had spoken to him in a special way. And so he took the stone that he had been using as a pillar, as a pillow, and he stood it upright and made a memorial and he called it Bethel, the house of God. Uh, Joshua, in the passage that I read at the beginning of the church today, right? Joshua, when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River because God had stopped the flow of the water upstream, he, you know, hey, I want 12 guys, get a big rock, and there at the banks, we're gonna build this stack of big 12 rocks so that our kids are like, what's that pile of rocks? Who made that? Why is that there? So that we can tell them the story of what God did. Not that your kids sound that way when they're asking those questions. Right? So memorials are nothing new. Memorials happen over and over again in scripture. It's a reminder that God has brought us this far and we can trust him with our future. Now, in order to make sense of Ebenezer, I need to tell you about another weird name, Ichabod. I'm not talking about Ichabod Crane, I'm talking about Ichabod. Say Ichabod with me, Ichabod. Ichabod means there's no glory or where's the glory? And so in order to kind of make sense, so early in the ministry of Samuel, the prophet, the Philistines, who were the arch rival of Israel, uh, got into a battle and they defeated God's people and 4,000 Israelite warriors lay dead on the battlefield. The Israelites had a collective freak out moment and they were saying, what happened? Why did God abandon us? How did we get defeated? What should we do? And so they did two things. They mustered the whole army of all of Israel, and then they brought the Ark of the Covenant. 
You know that thing from Raiders of the Lost Ark when the Nazis open it, their, their faces melt away? The Ark of the Covenant, they brought that, which had the tablets from Moses in it, to the battlefield. Now when, when the Ark of the Covenant got into the main section of Israelite troops, they were like, oh, they were shouting. The Philistines, meanwhile, heard that great shout, they say, to, they say, oh my goodness, a God has come into the camp, we've gotta fight harder. And do you know what happened? The Philistines kicked their butts. Israel was defeated summarily and the remaining Israeli troops were fleeing. And the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. They didn't open the lid even though they never saw the movie. Okay, so they capture the Ark of the Covenant and, and it goes on a tour through several Philistine cities. Uh, first, they put it in their temple where the, the god Dagon is standing up and they come back the next morning and Dagon is prostrate on the ground before the Ark of the Covenant. And they're like, well, that's weird. So they, <laughs> they not making this up, they set Dagon up again and then the next day they come in and Dagon's face down again and they're like, Maybe we should move this ark thing. <laughs> okay, and so it goes on a tour and every city that it's in, people have boils and things that are coming on in their skin and people are dying and they're like, get that out of here. And eventually they put it on a cart with some oxen. Get out of here, get out of here. And they send it back to Israel. 20 years later, by the way, the, there was a town near the field where the Israelites were defeated. And the name of that town was Ebenezer. So there's a lot of irony playing out. Uh, and, and when news of the Israelite defeat reached home base, Eli, who was the prophet before Samuel, heard the news. Because he was a big man, he kind of passed out. And as he passed out, he hit his head, he died, right? His daughter-in-law was pregnant and about to have a baby. And she was having a difficult birth. And she cried out. Ichabod, because she had just been told the news that Israel had been defeated. And she was, a baby boy was born, but she died in childbirth, and the child's name was Ichabod, meaning the glory's gone. And it all happened outside of a town called Ebenezer, which means stone of help. Are you feeling the irony? Yeah, Israelites totally felt the irony of that moment. 20 years pass, and that's where we pick things up. This is the section. She named the child Ichabod, which means where's the glory? She said, Israel's glory is gone, right? The glory has departed from Israel. The ark has been captured. So in 1 Samuel chapter seven, we pick things up and it's now been 20 years after this first incident. 20 years have passed. The Israelites have the ark, but the Philistines have the upper hand. They control the roads, they can raid, freely at will, and, and so 1 Samuel chapter seven. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside, home of Abinadab, and ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. During all that time, Israel did what? Mourned, because it seemed the Lord had abandoned him. If you've ever felt that way, Welcome to the club. We have all hit parts in our life where we have felt like God has abandoned us, even though he didn't really. And that's where we'll keep going with this story. 
1 Samuel chapter three and four. First uh, Samuel chapter seven, verses three and four. It's down here. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, if you're really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, then get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. Determine to obey only the Lord and then he will rescue you from the Philistines. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtoreth and worshiped only the Lord. Shocker. Then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel to Mizpah and I'll pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah in such a great ceremony. They drew water from a well, poured it out on, before the Lord. They also went without food all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. There's a difference between being mournful and really sorry because your circumstances stink and being repentant. And Israel for 20 years had been sorry. Sorry they lost, sorry that they felt God had abandoned them, sorry for a lot of things. But in this moment, they were repentant. And we know this because they took action. They got rid of their Asherah poles. And I know this is legitimate repentance because this act of repentance here, which kind of harkens to Joshua chapter 24, like it sticks. They get rid of their Baal and Ashtoreth poles in, what is it about? This happens about what, 1070 BC? Am I getting my dates right here? Yeah, 1070 BC. You go all the way to 874 BC until they start worshiping Baal and Ashtoreth poles again. 200 years where this repentance stuck. We're gonna serve the Lord and the Lord only. Hashtag lesson learned, right? <laughs> Hashtag lesson learned. So it keeps going, verses five. Samuel told them, gather all of Israel, I'll pray to the Lord for you. Verse seven, when the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered, they mobilized their whole army and advanced, thinking, now I've got them. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines, they begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb, offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. Just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day, and the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below Beth Car, slaughtering them all along the way. So let's, let's compare what happened 20 years earlier from what's happening this time. 20 years earlier, Eli's the priest. This time, Samuel's the priest. It takes place at a town named, near a town named Ebenezer. The second time, it takes place near another town named, ironically, Ebenezer. The Israelites, the first time, they muster their entire army. Come on, everybody, let's go. Let's go after the Philistines. They also take the Ark of the Covenant to the battlefield. This second time around, the Israelites pray. And when they hear the Philistines are approaching, do they muster their army? No, they beg Samuel, pray harder, right? And so the second time, God actually routes the Philistines uh, by thundering, whatever that happens, whatever is going on, he throws them into confusion. This is a direct answer of prayer for something that Samuel's mother prayed in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 
2. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. Notice what happens in chapter 7. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of what? Thunder. So God answers the prayer of Samuel's mother by throwing the Philistines in confusion. Eli's daughter-in-law who cried Ichabod saw that defeat as a period. Hannah saw that defeat as a comma. What I want to say to you is whatever the last clear thing that God did in your life, there's not a period after it. God's not done yet. God's not done yet. That's good news. There's not a period after the last thing that God did for you. It's just a comma. And we can trust God with our future. Let me ask some questions, right? Are there moments in your life where everything changed? Do you have moments in your life where everything changed? What are some ways that God has provided disciplined, corrected, protected, helped, delivered, and yes, blessed you. What are some times God has done that? Has God done things in your life you should memorialize in some way so that you don't forget? I want to suggest some things to you. First and foremost, when somebody gets baptized, that's an Ebenezer. It's an Ebenezer moment for them. When we celebrate communion and we're taking the bread and the cup together, that's an Ebenezer for us as a community of faith. And again, wherever you are in your right life right now, I want to suggest that the last thing God did does not have a period after it. It just has a comma. Uh, for us at Generations, uh, we started off with kid stuff, and many of us have fond memories of kid stuff days. It would be easy to look at that and see kid stuff, period. I want to suggest you know it's kid stuff, comma. Did you notice last month during the Intergen service when we had the, Karen and I were going through the skid and she had broken a tithe box? The kids over here were all standing on the chair, and you could have heard a pin drop. Were we connecting with them in that moment? Absolutely. Um, this summer, I don't know if you know this, but there are a ton of people that are going to move into our community, and some of them are actually going to go online and try and look for a church. Believe it or not, they're going to do that. Crazy people. It's scary online. <laughs> you know one of the things that you could do? You could review Generations Community Church on Yelp, on Google, on Facebook, and please be honest, the preaching is mediocre, but... <laughs> But if you say anything, you should say, if it's true, you know what? I met God here. Despite this, despite that, da, 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 da. When you do that, you're leaving a marker for someone else, a little mini memorial, if you will. All right? Now, I brought along with me an object lesson because I'm still a children's pastor at heart. I brought along with me my rock. If you've been to my office, you've seen the rock on my desk. Some of you have wondered, a number, most people when they come in, they think that this rock is from the Green River Lake uh, because uh, I, I love God meets me when I'm there at that, at that place by the lake, but it's not. It's actually something different. It's part of a building. So this rock is actually a piece of Blanchard Hall. Um, you, see, you can see the colors. See how it matches what's on the big picture up there? 
1989, Wheaton College, where I was attending uh, at the time, decided that they needed to renovate uh, that they needed to renovate Blanchard Hall, and so they gutted it on the inside, just like they did the White House in the late 1940s. They left the outside standing on, you know, scaffolding, and they completely built it up from the inside out. So they had a pile, giant pile of rubble, rocks. Now my roommate and I wrote an op-ed piece for the paper, and we said, you know what? God has done some amazing things for people when they're at this school, and people have such fond memories of it and what God did. I bet the alumni office, if they would uh, make that a premium, you know, for like a $100 gift or $1,000 gift, people would do that just to get their own piece of Blanchard Hall. And that was our op-ed piece. Now, do you know what happened six months later? The alumni office announced... <laughs> That for $100, and they put a college seal on the front, for $100, you could get yourself a piece of Blanchard Hall. I lifted mine from the rubble pile. <laughs> That's called theft by taking. <laughs> and I'm not giving it back. This rock reminds me, at, at Wheaton, I met Jenny. Jenny's been a life changer for me. I met some very dear friends. Uh, I got to see the world in a way I didn't see the world before. And I got to think about things in a way I didn't think about them before. And so when I see this rock, I'm remembering what God did during those years when I was there. And I got to tell you, despite the six years that I spent there, you can do the math, <laughs> there isn't a period after this rock. It's just a comma. I've gotten to meet and, and serve alongside all of you guys, and there's so much more to look forward to. So again, I want to remind you today, don't forget what God has done, because God's not done yet. God's not done yet.